Welcome to The Pastor's Progress, a podcast reflecting on the call and journey through pastoral ministry. So my name is Gabe, and this is episode one of The Pastor's Progress. And today we have Daniel Carter with us. Daniel and I are pastors at the same church, so I thought it'd be safe to have him on as our first guest as we go through all the speed bumps and everything of figuring out how to actually do a podcast. So... Daniel, welcome. It might be your mistake of thinking I'm safe for the first episode. Okay. This feels really awkward because we see each other every day, but we're sitting here talking to each other in microphones with headphones on. But I'm excited. I'm okay. Excited. So, Daniel, um, why don't you tell us about yourself and where you're from and what life and family was like growing up for you? Yeah, so I'm from Huntington Beach, California. Grew up in Orange County my whole life. Um, was the youngest of five five siblings, four brothers, and an older sister. Um, have a uh, loving have loving parents. Um, grew up playing sports and all that, and uh, grew up in a a Christian household where they took me to church every single Sunday. And I think at a very young age, I uh, understood the gospel and and believe that I needed a savior and place my faith in, in Jesus Christ. Um, you tell me if I'm getting off topic here. Um, and then kind of, kind of grew up in the church from there. Um, and just remained really shallow in my faith, uh, until, um, I was about a young adult and I'll, I'm sure you'll, uh, allow me to expand on that story later on down the road. No, no, there's no better time than the present. So what we hope to do with the pastor progress is as we're interviewing pastors, uh, talk about their early life, but then also how they started following Jesus, how they discerned a call into ministry, and then what that looked like. I know for me, whenever I first began to discern a call into ministry, it was really confusing. It was, well, what do I do? How do you actually go about this? You know, if you're if you're feeling led into ministry, what is the next step? So. Hopefully by sharing our stories, because uh, I don't think I've ever talked to uh, any two people that had the exact same story. But hopefully as we share our stories and other people share their stories of how they started following Jesus, how they discerned that call to ministry, and then how they pursued that call, uh, other people hearing this can uh, maybe discern their own call and decide what their next steps are going to be. So go ahead, man. Tell us how did you start following Jesus and take that on into your call and your path into ministry. Yeah, like I said, I think I believed in the gospel at a young age and was showing fruit and evidence of, of true conversion even at a young age, um, but still had a lot of disconnects in my faith. Um, one of them was that I just was very, um, did not a lot of have did not have a lot of good community throughout high school, throughout early years of college. Um, and I joined the Marine Corps at the age of 19. And I just got kind of swept away in uh, that culture, um, started living my life however way I wanted to, getting you know drunk every single weekend and partying. Uh, you let me know if I'm talking well into the mic here. Yeah, just stay as close as you can. It's kind of cutting out like when you turn okay. your head left and right and stuff like that. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, so I uh, got swept away, um, and uh, by God's grace, I think within about a year of, of just kind of living life however way I wanted to live and just coming uh, 
just having this huge God-shaped hole in my life that I was trying to fill with all these things and just being so unsatisfied with the world that God kind of brought me back like a pendulum swing. And I just started becoming on fire for him, living for him, had a passion to just read and know the word and a passion to, to make him known. And I just had a, yeah, just, just an incredible season of growth at the, probably at the age of 21. Um, and uh, from there, got connected to great groups of friends where they uh, just held me accountable, mentored me. And I would say, you know, again, you, we talk about how every calling is different. Um, I, I think my ministry calling uh, concerns, I'm sure would concern future pastors and, mm-hmm. and uh, would concern even me if a young guy came up to me like this. But I remember about a, a year into that, I was just inhaling books, reading like two or three books a week, reading the Bible and I had a very, uh, just a purely internal call. Okay. It was just very subjective. And you always want a true call to be both external and internal. At this point, it was just purely internal. And I remember I went, went up to my pastor that was mentoring me, and I just said, hey, I, I feel a calling into the ministry without ever even sharing the gospel, without ever even teaching a Sunday school. And, you know, I think back on that years later and I praise God that he handled it with such grace and understanding and patience. And he said, okay, if that's true, you know, we're going to do everything we can to, to pour into you and, and we'll see, you know? And, um, so do you think that was a, would you classify that as a calling or would you classify that as like a desire or do callings start off just as a desire? Yeah. You know, it's, it's hard for me to, um, it's, it's, I've been processing it, you know, for over 10 years and, uh, I, I would have called that a calling, um, because there was this fight that I was just urging that I, you know, it, it, interestingly enough, you know, I was meditating on, um, just that, that call of just losing your life for the sake of Jesus. And I had always been in control of my life. I always knew what I wanted to do. I had a set plan. I was going to go get out of the Marine Corps, join law enforcement. I was even in the midst of getting hired by LAPD at the time. I had just finished my interview. um, And I just knew that I was holding on to my life and my plans. And that for me to let go of them meant ministry. And, you know, I've since then heard so many young guys tell me similar things that they don't end up in ministry. I think they're kind of overly spiritualizing things. But uh, for me, it, it, you know, now 10 years later, that, that internal pull and calling just never went away. It was just only confirmed again and again externally. But, you know, again, at that time, it was just purely internal. And so the pastor was very gracious with no evidence whatsoever to totally not write me off, tell me I'm crazy, but to say, okay, let's, let's disciple you. So not to double too far back, but like the, and like when you say their calling was internal, Mm -hmm. sometimes I think that's where we can get confusing because uh, the Bible, it doesn't define what a calling is. And sometimes that can be kind of Christianese. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you had to describe an how your calling was purely internal to somebody else, what would you say? Would you say it was like a hunger, a desire, it was a need, a necessity? What would you... I would... When you say you had an internal calling, what is that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, the Bible talks about with ministry aspiration. Yeah. Um, so I, I would have described it as a very uh, strong compulsion. Okay. Yeah, and just feeling like I needed to do this, that this was what... God was having me to do, and I needed to obey that compulsion. 
So if you, what could uh, could you tell us what your compulsion was to? So you said yeah. you hadn't been sharing the gospel, you yeah. weren't necessarily preaching. What was the compulsion to? When you said I've got to do X, what was X? Was it just get a title? Yeah, no, I, I think it was. Um, I think it was, and I yeah, again to backtrack, uh, there was I was experiencing a lot of growth, and I was doing ministry. I was serving as a youth leader, so it wasn't just like. You know, I'm by myself and with no community and not bearing any fruit and not doing ministry to all of a sudden wanting to be in ministry. But again, not enough to the sense of someone can say, oh, wow, yeah, I think that that person's called to ministry. Uh, But to answer your question, um, yeah, again, reflecting on this years later, I felt a very strong compulsion of, okay, I'm called into the ministry. I'm called to um, forsake my plans for a vocation. Mm -hmm and give a blank check to the Lord of what he wanted me to do with my life. And I felt that that included gospel ministry. And, you know, I, I interpreted it, and this is a long story of just my um, desire for control and wanting to know God's plans of, okay, I, I feel it's such a strong burden for the military. I mean, I was in the Marine Corps Reserves at the time, and I was seeing, um, yeah, it was just, uh, well, I won't go that far. But, um, yeah, and... So I, I felt that, okay, if I have a burden in the military, for the military, the only possible platform for me to serve in would be the chaplaincy. And so I kind of, within a couple of days, like God is calling me to the, the chaplaincy. And uh, you'll find out later on that that, um, you know, 10 years later has not come true. Okay. You keep giving us all these little, all this mystery that's building up. You're going to oh, yeah. tell us all this stuff later. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I... I I think that's important because I know when I was going through seminary um, and even before then, you know, you read all the books and all the articles on am I called to ministry, discerning a call to ministry. I know it was frustrating for me um, because um, a lot of the things I read, how do I say it, Um, they were written by people who were already in ministry. And they said, when you are called into ministry, do this, this, and this. But it was like, what is the calling? What is the calling? And they would say stuff. uh, I'm trying to think of an example, but um, I know just these things frustrated me because it was like, okay, but what is that next step? What do I do? I know for me, it started off. uh, It's funny to hear you, you know, talk about uh, your life before Christ. I think, um, you know, when you have a pastor, you uh, you know you have a, you build an image of a pastor, and you can't imagine them before. Well, uh, I've only known you as a pastor, you know, since uh, we planted a church together a few years ago, and uh, you know you've become one of my best friends, and I can't imagine you before that. So when you say <laughs> when you talk about your life before, it just it it makes me chuckle because I just can't picture. Uh, Daniel, anything other than uh, uh, Jesus-loving pastor. So that's funny. But yeah, for me, that was, it, it, I guess you would say it was internal. For me, it was just this hunger, this desire. I wanted to talk to people about Jesus. And so I started uh, Bible studies just with friends at work. Like, hey, let's get together. Let's read the Bible. And, you know, those grew into little groups. And then eventually was uh, asked to, uh, lead a small group at our church. 
And, you know, that was intimidating, like, okay, well, let's do it. And then from there, it just grew like it was a love. It was like, man, I love this. I love teaching the Bible. I love seeing people get excited the first time they hear something, whatever it is, you know, about Jesus or about the gospel. It's when they're like, wow, I never knew that. To me, that's the most exciting thing in the whole world. And so that's when others, yeah, they told me, they're like, this might be a call to ministry, which is something I had not considered, my wife had not considered. And so uh, I think I had to have somebody tell me, hey, this may be a call to ministry, because I just, uh, it was, this. if I had never became a pastor or had never gone to seminary, I think it's something I would have still been doing, because I loved it. Um so, uh, so I don't remember exactly where you left off on your story, but, uh, so take that from, uh, your calling was internal. You talked to your pastors and then what your path into ministry. Yeah. So uh, again, call telling uh, my pastor that I, I felt this internal calling and then being gracious with me. Um, and then just continued growth. I was just inhaling books, um, and just seeing giftings emerge in my life. You know, I just had this huge burden to start sharing the gospel. Um, and I was sharing the gospel a little bit beforehand, uh, but all of a sudden it just became this wave, this, this, uh, this burden that I've never had. And I started seeing a lot of fruit and sharing the gospel. Um, I saw fellow, you know, Marines coming to faith in Christ, getting baptized in our church, uh, just wherever kind of God placed me, I was seeing people come to Christ were you a pretty outgoing and friendly guy? Yeah, before? you know, that's again, that's, you know, my wife and I, we talk about that. Um, you know, uh, no. Um, and uh, I uh, I would say my personality changed. Okay. Um, where, you know, I'm still not a total extrovert guy, but I love being around people and I love people. And um, God just changed my personality to always want to start being around people and starting initiating conversations and carrying on conversations, asking questions. That was not me, you know, six months before I had received that calling. So it was almost like a, just a supernatural endowment of, you know, God giving the gifts to, um, confirm the, you know, ministry assignment. Um, so I started seeing a lot of fruit, um, and, uh, you know, God, the pastors started giving me opportunities where I was leading small groups. Um, of course, seeing people come to faith in Christ, giving me some preaching opportunities probably within a year in the youth group, uh, to the 12, 12 year olds that were in the youth group and, uh, just, uh, getting, you know, uh, some good feedback. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it just was this continued upward trajectory of growth and seeing fruit and seeing people come to faith in Christ. And again, my my path towards ministry is just one of the most unlikely, uh, just I, I guess a unique path where you know, Gabe, I know I, I know you don't you know share this path also, but you think of a guy who goes into ministry, you go to seminary, you uh, maybe work as an intern somewhere, and then you become a youth pastor, and then maybe an associate pastor, and then you become a, a lead pastor. That's generally the, the, the path towards ministry where um, I was just, yeah, just serving anywhere. I was a single guy, so I had all the time in the world. Um, I remember even 
uh, I got my degree in criminal justice and I was hearing about all the problems of, uh, you know, the reoffending rate in California. And I'm thinking, man, the best solution to, to people's problems is the gospel. And I started looking up where I could serve in a prison and jail ministry. And that led me to uh, a guy that invited me to, uh, start preaching, uh, as a, as a volunteer prison chaplain. And again, just God was so gracious. I would never <laughs> ask a 23 year old to start preaching um, when I had had not um, observed him or, or have even gotten to know him very long. But God uh, used uh, that boldness of that man, and um, so I started preaching regularly at a maximum security prison, and um, and uh, yeah, I would preach two to four times a month. Um, and I, they would let me go to to uh, the solitary confinement with a, a lead vest, you know, <laughs> to block me from the knives, uh, and uh, and just was able to see the power of the gospel on display. Um, and then, you know, within that time, God led another senior pastor into my life that took on a more direct discipling role. Were you part of a? Local church? Yeah, I was a member. I had been, been a member for a few years at a local church. Mm-hmm. And what church was that? This, was, you, you this was Shoreline Baptist Church in Fountain Valley, California. Okay. And, um, yeah, he, he really discipled me and mentored me. I had, you know, always, whenever we get lunch, I'd have 52 questions. I would ask him and just rattle off. Uh, and, and it just really gave me space to use my gifts and develop my gifts. Um. And, uh, so that's, that's kind of the, the period. And then, uh, again, I don't know how far you want me to go. Um, and I guess I'll stop it here before I actually get into major ministry positions. No, that's what we want to hear. Like, uh, okay. what was, what was the next step? What was that path? Yeah. So it was a few years of doing that a few years of, um, character development, um, skill development. How was that taking place? Just under this pastor? Just under this pastor. And once I graduated from college, I, I started going to seminary online. And so, yeah, there was theological development, character development, and just competency development during that time. And so with, within all that, um, you know, I like I said earlier, I, I put God in a box and I just thought, okay, I have this, mili- this burden with military. And uh, so therefore the only platform I can get into was the chaplaincy. And just as I started, you know, learning more about the chaplaincy and learning more about how God had wired me and my unique giftings, I just kind of saw that, you know, that's probably not the best fit for me. Um, and so I just kind of summarized and, you know, the guys I was listening to, David Platt and John Piper, you know, all about missions. And so I'm thinking, okay, God must be leading me to give my life to an unreached people group. And I'm going to go spend my life on the mission field. And uh, I was totally looking that way. Uh, It's just I had to wait till my uh, contract was up with the reserves. And so kind of within that time, I had about a year left in the reserves. And uh, I was looking to kind of get the the paperwork started with the International Mission Board. And um, I I don't even remember where I found it, but they they wanted me to to attend an evangelistic training course. And I, I remember, uh, I, you know, I was 24 at the time and being so prideful. I'm like, I could teach this class. Like, wh- wh- why do they want me to take this class? Uh, but I was seeing, you know, some links like uh, Evangelism Explosion. And then I saw Campus Crusade for Christ. And I, I thought, like, I recognize that name. And so um, I, I looked on the website ministry and I, I saw all the different ministries, branches they had of Campus Crusade for Christ or crew. 
And one of them was, was crew military. And I'm thinking, wow, that would be cool. You know, I'm still a single guy, like to go down to Camp Pendleton, which was about 40 minutes south of where I lived and, um, and just start ministering and volunteering and serving any way I can. And, and I reached out to the guy, uh, lo and behold, he emailed me back, had, had, had lunch with him a week later. And this guy is just the master recruiter. You know, he, he had a wonderful plan for my life after about he a, was the master. And, and you have taken that title now. an hour of talking to him. And he's, yeah, he's a legend in, in recruiting. Um, pretty much so many people that are on staff of crew military tribute them coming on staff because of this guy. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just bought into it and I just thought, wow, this is great. Um, again, did not, didn't want don't want to knock parachurch, uh, but did not have a very developed ecclesiology. I would say just what a church was. And because of that, you know, I remember my senior pastor cautioning me and, and, and I, and I, I get why he did, you know, here's a young guy who's growing and he doesn't want to take, you want the young guy to, uh, while he's going to seminary, just kind of take the first ministry job that he sees. Uh, and that's exactly what I did. Which uh, usually is what happens. Yeah. Very yeah. Tempting. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, I, I, I probably would not recommend, but God was very gracious again. Do you, did you have a sense at the time that was, did you see crew military as like a stepping stone to something else? Or did you not think that far ahead? It's just like, Hey, I'm just, Going to see where this goes. No, you know, I, I wanted to be on staff with crew for 50 years. I thought this was a perfect ministry role. Um, you know, again, I was, I thought it was all very providential. Um, I was reading George Mueller's biography and just being so uh, um, just encouraged and inspired by how God provided for him. And one of the big things for me that was a was stop or, or an obstacle for me at crew was I had to raise my support. I'm like, there's no way. I'm going to do that. Um, but I felt like I, I've read George Mueller's biography very uh, at the right time um, as I was wrestling through this. So that, that kind of led me to, to jump off the cliff, so to speak, and trust God. And uh, I came on staff with crew uh, kind of against my senior pastor's wishes. Um, and that was 2015 and raised support and God just miraculously provided the support. Senior pastor ended up kind of having a heart change a couple months later and he like rallied the church to just cover my support within a few months. It was kind of miraculous how, how God just uh, brought it all together. And do you you still talk to him? Are you still in touch with him? Yeah. You know, he's still one of my mentors. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, uh, I, uh, came on staff with crew and, um, again, they didn't, they didn't give me a job responsibility or anything or or job expectations. It was just like, all right, you know, you're full time now, you got to figure it out. And, uh, the, the boss I had was not the, uh, it was just very laid back where, you know, as Gabe, I tend to be more like task oriented, a little bit more high strung. And I'm like, okay, so, I would just kind of wake up in the mornings and walk around the neighborhoods and try to share the gospel with anyone I could see. And if I would go by the, you know, kind of the main towns outside of the base, and if anyone had a haircut, I'd really try to engage them with a, with a, with a conversation if they look like Marines. Um, but again, slowly but surely got open more and more doors for me to be doing ministry. And yeah, ended up having just a really fruitful ministry on base. God gave me favor with chaplains, um, was able to um, raise up a lot of volunteers. Um, and yeah, at one point we were 
um, yeah, just really engaging a lot of Marines with the gospel, connecting them to local churches. Uh, so I guess that's a good segue towards the local church. Um, so again, God was using a lot of the evangelistic gifts uh, in my life in this ministry, uh, even. Oh, go ahead. Real quick. While you were doing that, walking the neighborhoods, working full-time for crew, were you still part of the same church? Um, yes and no. So I, I moved down and finding a local church was hard where I was living. Um, and so I decided I'm going to remain a member and uh, drive 30 minutes every single Sunday and try to be still involved with that local church. And that lasted uh, six months and I realized I could not do this anymore. Yeah. And, um, and it was actually in the midst of that time where I was, um, dating my now wife, Rochelle, and, um, we got engaged and then married. And, um, and once we got married, we moved down to Oceanside, uh, where we became members of a church that I'll talk about soon. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, that was, when, I'm glad you said that you would connect the local the Marines with the local church because that was going to be one of my questions. Um, how how did you like how did that process go? Like you share the gospel with a Marine? Uh, did you have any I mean conversions that you believe took place like there on the spot? And what was the follow up like for that? I know this has nothing to do with your path into ministry. I'm just interested. Yeah, so that was probably the 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 core of my ministry. Um, you know, we had great favor in one of the, the training areas that I was uh, ministering at. It was just kind of a perfect storm came, uh, just uh, God brought it about where um, there's all these Marines, and I don't know if I'm even sharing too much information over a, a public podcast, but... Uh, there's going to be tens of listeners. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, you, you know, you had these Sunday evening chapel services where the Marines had the option, at least back then, uh, of, you can either clean your rifle or go to a chapel service. And so you had like 300 to 500 Marines just coming for a chapel service and way more than, you know, the vast majority of them did not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And yeah. so they're hearing the gospel for the first time and we're seeing like legitimate conversions and people giving their lives to Christ for the first time, but there was no follow-up. There was no sense of where do I go from here? And, um, we had just the great connection of the chaplain had a passion for follow-up, but didn't know what to do. And the, the regimental commanding officer, um, was, is actually a, 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 a an elder at Pillar Dumfries now. Um, and, uh, he gave the green light to allow us to, uh, collect contact information for all these Marines. And so, uh, I started collecting contact information, all these Marines that wanted to get connected to a local church and ministry as they went on to the next duty stations. And so, um, that was, you know, a lot of my ministry where, uh, we would get them, uh, at these chapel services and, you know, we're talking about 800 to a thousand Marines a month and probably more than half of them would give their contact info. And so I started networking with all these parachurch and local church uh, ministries uh, throughout the country, wherever they would go. And I would time it out where, the, where they would graduate and get connected to this person the week that they were uh, heading over there. And then I would time it out how long their training was and try to get them connected to a local church um, as they hit the, the fleet and had cars and all that. And so, again, the longer I, 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 I 
know, was ministering in that context, more and more Marines are staying in Camp Pendleton and I'm connecting with these people. Uh, and so I had a, a quite a, um, quite a few Marines, you know, down the road that I was ministering to and, and connecting, uh, to the local church and various local churches. And we, one of them actually joined our church, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Derek is the, Derek's the Derek example. was baptized and yep. that was awesome. All right, so you get to Pillar Oceanside, and so when you get to Pillar Oceanside, in your mind, you're still going to be on crew for the next 50 years. You're not showing up at Pillar Oceanside thinking, yeah. here's a great chance for me to become a pastor, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, yeah. so you show up at Pillar Oceanside. Uh, did you uh, – so Trace was the pastor. Was John there at the time? No, he had just left. All right, so did you communicate right away with uh, with Trace and say, look, I, I'm on crew, I've been called to ministry? How did that look when you first showed up? Yeah, again, the the kind of the context of finding Pillar Oceanside, too, is I was having a lot of trouble with local churches just not really wanting to uh, direct efforts towards connecting with Marines and following up with Marines. Um, you know, again, it's just not a, not a great way to build your church. I think it's a great way to build your kingdom, build, build God's kingdom. But, uh, you know, these young Marines are just always deploying. It's just very hard relationally to minister to them. And so did not have a lot of, uh, takers with local churches. So that was frustrating. And so then I heard about the Praetorian project. I heard about their mission that they were, you know, focused on the military leaning into the transients. And so I thought that would be a perfect wedding of, parachurch and local church. And, um, so I got to get to know trace, uh, one of the planting pastors there. And, uh, again, we had it hit it off really well. Um, and, uh, he invited me to their Praetorian project annual meeting. I think it was at Southeastern seminary, uh, 2016. And, um, and Were you leading any ministries at the church at the time, or no? I had just met Trace. Okay, this was like within a week of meeting him. And he why did he invite you to the meeting? Because one of his elders uh, could not make it, and he's like, and, and they were, you know, still, still they are, but really back then they were very heavy on recruiting and trying to get as many people as possible to okay. even parachurch and chaplain to see the Praetorian project. And so he invited me in, and uh, yeah, I got to, to to meet all the other pastors and uh, catch the vision of what they were doing. I just thought, man, this is great. Like, I would, I want to be a part of this, and I want to do everything I can to to help further um, what these guys are doing. Um, and so, yeah, got married shortly after. Uh, my wife and I, we we settled down. Oceanside became members at Pillar Church of Oceanside very quickly, and um, this was 2016. And we had about a couple of years of fruitful ministry there. Um, but within that time, I would say, again, God was developing other giftings, other passions in my, in my life. Uh, he was giving me a much more pastoral heart. Um, and there was just a deep, growing love for, for Christ's church. Uh, my ecclesiology was really developing, uh, becoming more precise and well thought out. And... Um, and I was just, yeah, having more and more of a growing passion for preaching. Um, and, you know, again, started having kind of that internal pull, I would say, uh, towards church planting. And I was very cautious, very careful. Um, hey, how, so let's, I'm going to back up just a little bit. Yeah. You said something right there. Uh, you had a growing passion for preaching. I think most most men, 
that is their call to ministry. I want to preach. Mm. I like to preach. And that's, I mean, that's it. And they think that ministry is just preaching. It's getting up on Sundays. It's showing how much you've studied and how much you've read. And um, what, so you said you were developing a, a passion for preaching. Uh, when you were doing crew for the Marines, I don't yep. know, remember what you called it. Mm-hmm. Um, were there any opportunities for preaching there? Or when you came to Pillar Oceanside, how, how did that passion for preaching start to grow? Like when, when did Trace give you an opportunity to preach? Yeah, or? yeah it's, it's a good question. Um, so yeah, I would say... Well, those are actually the only kind of questions I ask. <laughs> the good ones. <laughs> this anyway, is true. Uh, I would say uh, all throughout that time in crew, I was able to preach uh, probably once or twice a month. Um, and uh, I would preach at the chapel services that were attended, you know, anywhere between 200, you know, 200, 500 Marines. Um, and yeah, just seeing a lot of fruit from preaching, you know, having people just affirm that like, Hey, we, you know, every single Sunday, you know, we think you should be a pastor. And it's like, I laugh. It's like, okay. Uh, I guess, you know, I can't do parachurch if I have a gift of teaching, but, um, so yeah, it, it, just seeing that affirmed and seeing the fruit and seeing the and, you know the, the joy I had in, in using those gifts, um, and then when I when I became an elder at Pillar Church of Oceanside uh, in 2018, they started allowing me to preach about once a month too. So okay, yeah, so I was preaching anywhere between one to three times a month. All right, so roll us back back into that. You yeah. you're at Pillar Oceanside. You start feeling these giftings. How did that become about where you became an elder at Pillar Oceanside? Yeah, again, I um, wasn't going for the title. Uh, just started wanting to bear fruit in, in the local church and started loving people and serving people and discipling people. And, and you know, about every year the church uh, did a solicitation of, hey, who do you think among our congregation is, is qualified as being an elder, uh, according to First Timothy 3, Titus 1, First, Pre- First Peter 5. And, uh, they would give recommendations and, um, and I was one of the recommendations and they took me through, uh, what they called an elder pipeline process that lasted, uh, you know, four or five months. And from then on, they, the elders felt that I was ready and, and, uh, qualified and they put me before the congregation and the congregation, uh, confirmed the vote as an elder. And I, you might've said this, but how long after you got to Pillar Oceanside was that? Oh, uh, two years. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't just you showed up and, oh, hey, you're an elder. Um, yeah, I think that's that's awesome to hear because it was something that happened the way it should happen. The church saw this. The church raised you up from within. Um, it. Uh, I've, in my role as pastor, I've had people, I've had young men come to me and, uh, you know, tell me, hey, I feel... I feel called to ministry and they expect an immediate, here's your title, here's your blessing, here's your ordination, go. And, um, you know, I've, I've had that conversation with a few young men and they really didn't like, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't uh, dismiss their, their calling or anything, but it was like, okay, good. Let's start the process. Let's start the discipleship process. Let me disciple you and mentor you. Um, and, uh, I've had a few negative reactions. It was like, no, you're not understanding. I'm ready now. You know, I'm ready to preach now. I'm ready to be a pastor now. And um, what uh, do you think, uh, how do I say this? Was there was there a maturing 
between the time you got to Oceanside and the time you became an elder? Um, how do I ask this question? Would it have been, would you have recommended yourself to be an elder when you first showed up to Pillar Oceanside? It's hmm. a good question. Um, Those are the only questions I ask. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, there wasn't a lot of, you know, I had a lot of experience counseling young Marines that were going through various issues, but, um, and I, and I would say the character was there and I would say perhaps the, the competency with teaching was there. Um, but it took me a while to really think through the role of an elder. Yeah. Uh, it took me a while to really think through, um, yeah, what elders were responsible for, um, and even just defining a church, it really took me a long time to really uh, define it well and see scripture and see the inferences that were made and and um, and and just yeah, putting that all together to give me the right convictions. Yeah, that's so good and good on Trace and those guys up at Pillar Ocean side for you know walking you through that because uh, I mean the one thing you always want as a pastor is more leaders. You want more. You know, God raise up more leaders, more more leaders, uh, especially people who are hungry and eager. But sometimes, uh, I think more often than not, you can just put them in too quick. Okay, here you feel called. You're a leader. Boom, go serve. And it usually it doesn't always end well. I know um, I had that that experience as well, um, where there was a you know a young man who felt called to ministry and uh, told me he was getting ready to start seminary or had just started seminary. And I was a very new pastor, and so I was just really excited. I'm like, all right, I got one. You know, this guy is called a ministry. Uh, This is my lead. And I was already building it up in my mind. Okay, this is how I'm going to work with this guy. This is the ministry I'm going to let him lead and this and that. And uh, through just uh, uh, like the first he did agree to discipleship, which, you know, I was like, Hey, come in, let's start working. And, uh, the first time we met we started talking about the gospel and I asked his testimony and, uh, through about 45 minutes of testimony, he never mentioned the name Jesus, just, uh, you know, uh, a history of church attendance. And so I went through the gospel with him and, uh, he, he, he admitted, he's like, I've never heard this. And, you know, this idea that it is you're saved by faith. Uh, it's not about trying to be good, you know. And he, so, yeah, he, uh, I, so I learned, you know, real quick, okay, don't just take somebody at their word. I feel called to ministry. Okay, boom, I'm going to put you over something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also after that initial conversation, he was still, okay, but when do I get to preach? You know, hey, when do I get to I'm like, brother, you just heard the gospel for the first time. You just prayed to uh, give your life to Jesus last week. You know, let's walk through the discipleship process. And he just, he wasn't having that. So it was sad. But um, yeah, yeah, I think uh, any, so that's, you know, hopefully we got some people listening to this that that's their thing. You know, uh, hopefully... Uh, they're hearing this, they may feel called into ministry and you may be at that stage where I'm just frustrated. What do I do next? And just because your church is being patient and wanting to walk slow with you, that is a very good thing. It is going to be healthy. You will never, at least I don't think if you pursue this call into ministry and you wind up serving as a pastor for 34 years, 30 or 40 years, I don't think you'll ever look back and say, man, 
you know, I wish I, I wish they would have put me in a year early. I wish, I wish they would have sped up my discipleship process. Uh, On the other hand, I think whenever you're older, you know, like me and you look back and you're like, wow, I wasn't as ready as I thought I was. And so, um, not enough can be said about, uh, preparation. Can you overdo it? Yes, certainly. But, uh, um, at some point you do have to, to just go and serve, but, um, yeah. Anything else you want to add about kind of your, how did Rochelle, what did, what was Rochelle, your wife's, uh, yeah. response to you being, uh, considered as an elder and thinking about being married, married to an elder and all that? Yeah. You know, she, um, she loved it. She supported it. You know, again, there's that, those, there's, there's those nerves of, okay, now I'm going to be a pastor's wife and there's that expectation. Um, but you know, with, with our, uh, church polity, like with, with a plurality of co-equal elders, there was not that, um, you know, pastor's wife in a fishbowl kind of, kind of thing, kind of culture in that church. So, um, yeah, she's excited. She was, she was, you know, really excited to support me in that role. She's a big David Platt fan, right? That's correct. She thought you were going to be the next David Platt. Yeah. So she yeah. was excited about that. Until she saw me preach. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay. So that was your, your calling into ministry. The church recognized these giftings in you. The The church examined you. The church called you. The church put you forward as it should be, as we see in scripture. Um, what does following Jesus look like for you now? Now you're in ministry. How did that change? So, uh, you know, you're, you're a church planter now, which that'll be a different episode maybe. Uh, but from before you had the title to yeah. now, how did following Jesus, what is it, what changed or did it? Yeah, you know, again, I, and it's funny, I'm, I'm preaching on uh, feeding the 5,000 this Sunday. And uh, I would say over the years, it has grown more and more to embracing Jesus as the real provision. And I think we can get so... Uh, just get so obsessed with ministry results and ministry fruits and numbers when we just don't take time to rest in the gospel, rest in who Jesus is. And so, yeah, what this looks like every day is, is um, making sure I'm taking that time in the morning to abide, to be in the word, to worship, to confess, uh, to meditate on the word and kind of be um, as the, the famous Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs say, like be, be under God. Um, just kind of rest in him, go at his pace. And so when I'm meeting with guys, I want to be under God. I want to be carrying out Jesus's agenda for the meeting. I want to be listening to kind of what I can say, listening for, um, you know, things I can, you know, I guess, pull the string on and, 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 and talk about. And, um, and even that, that, that even comes out with the way my time management, like, God, how do you want me to spend my time to use my time to be faithful? Um, and so uh, again, even that carrying over to the family, you know, when I, when I'm done with work, uh, I want to take some time to just pray and cast anxieties on the Lord. And just to make sure that I'm, uh, just all there for my family and listening, playing with my, my kids, uh, and able to, to spend quality time with my wife. That's so good. I, I think, I don't know if this was, you know, how, how I'll, Often this is the case, but there is certainly sometimes there's people that have this perception that, hey, once you're a pastor, it's kind of like you're the holy man. 
You know, you don't need to work so hard at maintaining holiness. You don't need to work so hard. You know the Bible, you know, um, but that's certainly not the case. I would say uh, it's even harder is not the word, but uh, uh, weightier now that I'm in ministry. Okay, I I have to feed myself the word. I have to uh, continually be seeking Christ. And I think uh, I think part of it is um, a lot of times people rely on their pastor to be the one kind of pushing them and prodding them to do that. Uh, as a pastor. I do have mentors in my life, but they are not, you know, regular, daily, even weekly meetings. And uh, so I have to be prodding myself. I have to be poking myself or, you know, I have to be listening to the Holy Spirit prodding me as well. Um, So, yeah, it's not like once you get into ministry, it's just smooth sailing. I mean, would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yep. Um, What about uh, another thing I know whenever sometimes people have this perception of, you know, as a pastor— you know, that's really all you have to do is prepare a sermon and read the Bible. You should have all day to just read the Bible and pray. It should be so easy. You really don't even have to schedule it, right? Is that true? That's not true. Mm-mm. Especially um, with kids. Yeah. So it, it gets hard to, you have to be disciplined. Um, even as a pastor, you know, you're ministering to people. You're, you're especially, you know, as church planters, we're going to people. It's not like we have an office they're coming to. We're going to people. We're going to meetings. We're doing all this. You've got to be disciplined to say, okay, the Bible is something I'm not putting off. Prayer is not something I'm putting off. Um, And it's not just one of those, oh yeah, it's super automatic. I'm a pastor, so it it comes easy. Um, So that that was one, I think, misperception I might have had when I was much younger Mm -hmm. uh, is the amount of work that goes into full-time ministry and maintaining your relationship with Jesus and, and, and growing, I should say. Um, what is something most people don't know, but you wish they did about being a pastor or the life of a pastor? I may have just answered that. Mm. I'm going to call dibs on that. That was my answer to that question. Yeah. Um, I would say uh, what most people don't know is, you know, John Calvin says, right, right our, our hearts are like idle factories. And that's just as much true with pastors as it, as it is with every, everyone else. And how it is so easy to not be in love with Jesus mm-hmm. as a pastor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, we can fake it on Sunday mornings. We can have the, the language. Um, but it is so easy to get weighed down by stress by allowing our pride to get inflated when we see success, by allowing uh, our hearts to get, you know, thrown in despair when we don't see success, that we forget that seeking intimacy with Jesus is the main thing, the needful thing, and just enjoying him. And out of that, we bear fruit. Yeah. And I think even uh, finding satisfaction in the ministry itself instead of Jesus. Oh, yeah. You know, hey, I don't, I don't have to pray so hard. I don't have to worry so much about temptation because, you know, I led three Bible studies this week and I'm doing discipleship and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. So it's kind of like uh, this, this idea that all these things I'm doing um, are enough. And so finding satisfaction in the ministry rather than satisfaction in Jesus. Yeah. Um, do you have a story about a time you witnessed God uh, 
work in either your life, somebody else, like a favorite ministry story or even like a funniest ministry story? Oh, man. Well, I have a lot of awkward evangelistic encounters. Um, I think people don't understand how awkward ministry is. We should do an entire episode one time on the awkwardness of trying to minister to people, especially strangers. So, okay, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think there was that that one time uh, I was training one of my guys how to how to do you know some door uh, door to door knocking, and um, you know they had a guy uh, open his door that wasn't clothed. Mm. Um, so that was that was a good time. Sorry I, about that. I would say <laughs> call, call next time. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think too a lot of young pastors they they go through situations, circumstances that where you say kind of you earn your pastoral stripes, uh, you, you, you mature leaps and bounds. And, you know, by God's grace, I've seen a lot of stories of transformation and people coming to Christ and growing. Uh, but one encounter I think will always kind of be burned into my brain. Um, I was doing a hospital visitation with a lady. She was, uh, it was just me and her and uh, she was about old enough to be my mom, so I wasn't violating Billy Graham rule or anything like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was just just me and her. We were talking, and she was just uh, she had been running some tests, and she didn't know what was wrong, but she was just really sick. And uh, the doctor came in and said, "Is your husband here?" He's like, "No, he's he's asleep." And he's like, "Okay, well, uh, we have some news to deliver." And she's like, "Okay, well, I can get him on the phone." And here I am just by myself with this lady and this doctor's about to, to deliver some really bad news. And so she just grabs my hand is holding onto it for dear life. And, um, and the doctor says that if we're pretty sure you have malignant cancer mm. and here's your, here's your charts, here's your readings, this all points towards bad cancer. Mm. And I'm just like thinking, oh my gosh, what do I do? What Bible verse can I, you know, comfort her with? Like, I'm just by myself and I don't know how this, this lady's going to react. And the doctor walked out and she just looks at me and I just said, let's pray. And we prayed and I, like, she got done and she's like, God is good. And she wasn't even a mature Christian. She was a younger Christian, but she's like, God is good. God is in control. He knows, like, just flooded with peace. And and I just remember seeing, like, wow, like, God totally came through. He is able to um, to just sustain even the youngest believer through the the, the worst news. Amen. Uh, And the story doesn't end there. Um, About a week later, we prayed for that lady. we prayed for her miraculous healing. Um, and the week after that, the doctor came back and said, I don't know what happened, <laughs> but your readings are normal. Like we don't know what, what's going on. And, um, and so I, you know, I'm quite sure that the Lord miraculously healed that lady. And so that was definitely, um, getting to see God at work, um, was a, a ministry experience. I'll always remember. That's awesome. That's great. So, uh, on top of that, what, uh, what would you tell a new or a soon to be pastor that you wish someone had told you? Uh, there are no shortcuts to godliness. And I think one of my favorite quotes is by Robert Murray machine. Um, and he said, the greatest need that my congregation has from me is my personal holiness. Ah, 
That's so good. And, um, you know, younger, I would have said, you know, I need to be a great preacher. I need to be a great disciple. I need to be, I have all these, you know, these skills, vision caster. And, uh, I've seen again and again that yes, that stuff is helpful. You need that, but, um, there's just no shortcuts for godliness. There's no shortcuts for, um, being filled with the spirit. And it's often out of that, that the Lord impacts people. Yeah, no doubt. All right, had to take a short break there because we had an F-18 flying right over the house, one of the benefits of living in a military community. Um, yeah, I think, uh, bef- you know, it's so important for us to remember before you were called to ministry, um, you were called to follow Christ. You were called to godliness. And uh, I just wrote an article about this for newchurches.com, and that was one of the things about people when they find their identity in their ministry – Ministry calling can change. Ministry calling can run its course. Um, and you're going to be left really confused. You're going to be left, uh, you know, just lost if that was where your identity is. But we are called to follow Jesus. We are called to live godly lives. We are called to pursue sanctification. And that does not change. It's not going to change if you're called to ministry. It's not going to change if you're not called to ministry. If you are a Christian and you're a lawyer, you're a Christian and you're a uh, uh, cashier saying you're, that's what you're called to. And I think, uh, yeah, that's so often overlooked. And again, it's, it's like, Oh, I can just substitute a bunch of busyness and work yeah. for God, for godliness. Good stuff. Um, last thing, what is your favorite Bible verse or passage and tell us why? I think, Probably Isaiah forty one ten, right? Uh, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Um, I feel like I'm quoting and praying that verse all the time. Uh, you just always feel so very insufficient in ministry, and you're just crying out for for Christ's sufficiency again and again and again. Um, so I would say that's pretty much a life verse for me if I had one. That's a good one. All right. Well, that ought to do it. Uh, thank you, Daniel, very much for being the guinea pig on the very first Pastor's Progress podcast. you have anything else you want to say or add before we go? No, thanks for having me. Okay. Yep, you're welcome. And thanks for being-